All right, let's open our Bibles to Exodus 2. If you look up here on the screen, I wanted to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to you guys. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Some of you guys said I was a clanging cymbal last week, but you need to know it was in love, guys. I love you. We won't clang today. So we're going to look at the uh, book of Exodus once again. We've been jumping between Exodus and 1 Corinthians. Next week, I'm going to be out of town, um, hopefully learning some really good things I'm going to be able to bring back to you guys. Uh, But we're going to be continuing uh, in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at the first four verses next week, and our brother Wes is going to be bringing the Word of God. And I really, the reason why I asked him only to go through four verses for next week it really is the whole emphasis and the point of the book of Corinthians. So I'm hoping that we'll really grasp the importance of why Paul wrote that epistle. But this morning, we're going to read Exodus chapter 2, um, and we're going to consider the life of Moses. And for you guys who don't know, Moses actually wrote uh, the first five books of the Bible. So he wrote about himself um, and everything that had gone down through uh, Genesis, through Deuteronomy. So those who think that the Bible is irrelevant or irrational or even um, immoral, the Bible is actually profoundly relevant. Would you guys testify to that? How many guys would say, yeah, I can test? Yeah, okay. And it's crazy how many thousands of years ago was this written? It's because it's supernatural. It's because it's God's word. He knew that you and I would be here this morning opening his word to Exodus chapter 2. And yeah, there is something for us today. So God always has the right person in the right place at the right time. And we're going to see that with Moses. So let's meet him this morning. Born a slave, raised a prince. Moses' sense of timing needs to correspond with God's timing, okay? Um, Yet, it's not until he's 80 years old. Think about that. He was 80. He was finally ready to do what God had for him to do. Um, Wow. James really did uh, change my notes. There we go. He highlighted a bunch and it deleted. (laughs) I just backspaced and it all came back, praise the Lord. So a simple outline for you and I this morning, guys. We're going to look at God's protection. We're going to look at God's preparation and God's promise in Exodus 2 here. So how many animals did Moses take on the ark? Oh, that wasn't Moses' ark. (laughs) Or... Was he in an ark? Let's see. Let's look at God's protection here this morning, guys. Verse 1. And man, man of the house of Levi, he went and he took a wife, a, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, we're told. And when she saw him, he was a beautiful child. Again, who, who wrote the book of Exodus? <laughs> it's funny because Moses later will tell us that he was the most humble man upon the earth wouldn't it be weird to have to tell your own story like hey this is going to be God's word for all people you know writing about yourself in there but he it is the word of God so he really was a beautiful child Um, and she hid him for three 
months. But she, when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dubbed them in asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off in, or to know what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. Her and her maidens walked alongside the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And so uh, <clears throat> the maiden went and called the child's mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, or she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called him Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. So let's consider Moses and his ark for a second here. The babe in a basket. Um, Moses' parents, they come up with this plan. Okay, they created this plan. Hey, we're going to float our son right down to Pharaoh's palace. Pretty good plan, huh? So God used a basket. Think about that, an ordinary object for an extraordinary purpose. So they exercised really this great faith in God, especially when they committed him to God's care in the waters of the Nile River there, okay? This is a pretty cool baby dedication, wouldn't you guys say, right? So I love that the Bible really uh, displays this preeminent role of women. Have you been catching that? We looked at chapter one, okay? The first deliverers were who? These two women, okay? And now we see again this role of women in the life of Moses. Moses' mother, Jochebed, right, played a critical role in saving him. She was appointed to nurse and to care for Moses until he was weaned. And then the daughter of Pharaoh, okay? The Israelite killer, saves the man who will save the Israelites. And it's ironic, guys, to think that Pharaoh was trying his best to murder these Hebrew babies. His daughter was using, you know, royal funds, keeping one alive. Isn't that like our God? Yeah, there's no one like him. No one like him, guys. That's why we praise him. And then we have Miriam. You know who Miriam is? It's Moses' older sister, okay? And she had to go deal with the princess. And then we're going to see Zipporah in a little bit. Moses' Midian wife saves Moses from the wrath or God's wrath because he didn't circumcise him. We'll see that in chapter 4 when we get there. But look at verse 9 again with me. It says, Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Psychologists have rightly stressed the importance of those first impressions that are received during the early years of a child's life. You guys know that in a child's development, much of their capacity 
to learn. Learning is in those earliest years uh, since it is time when that, you know, the brain is undergoing its most dramatic growth. So parents are very much encouraged to be talking to their babies, to their little ones, reading, singing to their children, prenatal through age five. You know, I wonder when Uriah, Uriah was about to be born, you know, Sonny's belly had gotten a little big, and we used to play Mute Math, one of our favorite bands, all the time, all this music. Um, he ended up being our musical kid. I don't know if there's something to that or not, but it's one of those things, guys. God has given us, you know, as parents, just that privilege of really pouring into our children when they're little bitties. You know, by the way, guys, Moses was saved in the same type of vessel, teva, in the Hebrew, as Noah's ark. Despite the vast size difference, it's the exact same word. And it's the only time teva is used in the Bible. 26 times with Noah's ark and here with Moses' ark. I thought that was pretty cool. So I think this should also speak to young parents, guys. Don't be afraid of raising your child during this time. Okay, I know we have a few babies here this morning. That's awesome. Uh, a lot of us have young kids. I think every one of us as parents, okay, had you know some of the same fears. Like, do I really want to bring a child into the world? Okay, some of you guys, you know, were having children right after the Cold War. You know, hey, there might be a nuclear holocaust. That was a very real fear. Uh, for a time you know I was growing up in the 80s all I was hearing within the church is hey Jesus is coming back we're living the last days we shouldn't be having kids right now not a good time to be doing that hey don't have kids right now because man this pandemic everything's nuts and crazy economy is going to fall apart don't fear guys okay um, don't fear the pharaohs do your best to point your children to Jesus and entrust them into his care Okay, because he is good. So think of their faith here, these parents, their prayers, their bravery, their creativity, and their son is saved. So what an encouragement for those who are attempting to raise a godly family in a very secular desert. Again, guys, the word of God is relevant. They were going through it, but God was still doing. You see, there's a great reminder too. I think we need to quit whining about how bad the world is and we need to get creative in how to be pouring into our children, okay? They are, I don't know, does anybody know when the Lord's coming back? Any false prophets in the room today? False teachers, anywhere, anywhere? Okay, nobody knows the day or the hour, okay? Um, but <laughs> we know the Lord is long-suffering, okay? Jesus was supposed to come back by now. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be raptured and home with him. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? But does anybody know? Is it going to tarry 10 more years, 100 more years? We don't really know for sure. But what we do know, God has commissioned us to train our children up in the ways of the Lord. So let's do that, okay? Because there is a whole generation that is very confused, okay? Things are swinging quickly. And let me tell you what, as it gets darker out there, <laughs> light's going to shine brighter. And don't we want our kids to be shining for Jesus despite this world? Absolutely. And is it possible, guys? Yes and amen. So 
I think we can learn a lot because there are stormy seasons as parents. Okay, do we have any perfect parents in here? Love to do a parenting conference. We need some speakers who've done it great and perfectly. <laughs> no, we're always learning, okay? But the thing is, you know, we can't do it for them. Aren't you guys glad there's a scripture in the Bible? Um, forgetting the reference, it's in Philippians where it talks about, oh, Philippians 1.6. No, that isn't it. He'll complete the work he's begun. Later, chapter 2, maybe it's verse 13, where the Lord will work in and through to will and to do for his good pleasure. Okay? Isn't that cool? Because I think sometimes as parents, don't we feel, even you guys who have kids who are now grown, maybe have their own kids, don't we have that tendency to still want to do it for them? Hey, you know, I'm going to make you do what's right. You know, we can't do that, guys. We can't live their lives for them. Do you guys understand that? We can't work that in them. But according to the Bible, Jesus can. Isn't that kind of cool? And do you guys understand why we have to commit our kids to the Lord? If he's the one who is able to work in and through our kids to establish their hearts, well, I think all we can do is commit them to the Lord, right? We pray, pray, pray. We train them. We keep encouraging them. Hey, this is the truth. <laughs> you need to be looking to Jesus, trusting him. This is what he says. But ultimately, guys, we can't do that. Only God can do that in them. Amen? Cool. So no matter what stormy season we might be going through as parents, you guys need to understand that you are chosen, that we're not forsaken, that God is in this, okay? He's got our kids. Let's look at the next verse here, God's preparation. Verse 11, we're told, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out from his brethren, he looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating who? A Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way, and he looked that way. You guys ever do that? Oh, this is, uh, oh, anybody around? Anybody watching? And what does he do? Okay. When he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. All right. So if you're about to do something, guys, that you wouldn't do if others were around, you probably shouldn't do it at all. Okay. Yeah. I know that's some deep theology right there, but verse <laughs> 12. So, he looked this way and that way. He saw no one. He killed the Egyptian. He hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men, they were fighting. And he said to the one, who did the wrong? Why are you striking your companion? And then they said, who made you prince of, or a prince to judge over us? Do you intend to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Whew! Do you guys know that our sin will find us out? Oh, that's scripture too, okay? Just because you don't think anybody's watching doesn't mean you're going to get away with it, okay? So these guys know, oh, you, Moses, prince, what, are you going to judge us? Are you going to kill us too? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses uh, fled from the face of Pharaoh and he dwelt in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters and they came and they drew water and they filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. And then the shepherds came and they drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flocks. And when they 
came to Raoul, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? And why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses, and she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. So Moses moves to Midian. Suddenly, the story jumps 40 years ahead. We know that from Acts chapter 7, verse 23. So he spent two years of preparation for every one year of ministry. Think about that. Two years of preparation. Waiting time is not wasted time. I'm going to say that again. Waiting time is not wasted time. Some of you guys are in a season of waiting. When is it going to finally happen? When can I finally serve? When can we do it? Waiting time is not wasted time. You see, in Midian, first showed himself as protector, provider, and shepherd. So we see the, those in the life of Moses. We also can note, guys, that biology is not a destiny. You see, guys, a child can be born by evil people. Well, we're all evil, but just bad people. And they still can end up being a good person, okay? I don't buy into B.F. Skinner. How many guys have been to college, did some classes, read some B.F. Skinner? Guy's a dork. This is what our world, we're a byproduct of our environment. That is what we have bought. We don't believe the Bible. We're not teaching students in our universities truth. We're just telling them, hey, you have no choice. You got to be this way because you're just a byproduct of your environment. That's a lie. Do you guys know that Adam and Eve had the perfect environment and they still sinned? It's in our nature, guys. We are evil. That's what the Bible says. But we also have choices, don't we? Just because I was born into this situation and I went through these hard things in life, it doesn't mean I have to do these bad things. You guys know we still have a choice. We can choose to do good. No, this is what's right. So don't fall into that stinking thinking, okay? Throw your B.F. Skinner books away <coughs> or bring them here and I'll burn them for you. Um, Anyways, despite being raised by an Egyptian, let's get back to Moses here. Moses apparently recognizes he is also a Hebrew. Okay, so the plot in this line is having been saved from Pharaoh, Moses must now be saved from himself. That is where God's taking us here in Exodus 2. And I believe the same is true for you and I. You know, God saves us. We need saving from ourselves. I mean, who is our worst enemy? It really is self, okay? It is our flesh. So, he rashly thinks he can deliver his people, okay? God's people in his own strength, right? 
and at his own time. Instead, he has to learn to become a mere instrument of redemption in the hands of God and to wait for God's timing. You guys know how important that is. And again, it's okay to wait on the Lord. There is no wasted time when we're waiting. So, side note, there's another 40 years that happens in the life of Moses uh, that will have to pass before God uses him. So God um, empties Moses and brings him to the realization that Egypt is not for him. And we see in verse 22, did you guys catch what he named his son was Zipporah? He called his name Gershom and said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. So first, Moses had to get his heart out of Egypt before he could free the people from Egypt. And again, Egypt is a picture of what, guys? Of the world, okay? And that's part of what we're going through, a process that God's doing us in us. When we come to faith in Christ, we're set free, right? Born again of the Spirit. And now when we're born again in the spirit, man, there's a war going on, isn't there? We have the flesh and the spirit. Spirit's alive. We're now at war. And God begins to work on us. We begin to be sanctified. Our eyes are open and we're seeing, oh, (laughs) this is what the world says. This is what God says. This is what the world esteems. Whoa, this is what God esteems. The world says this is right, and God's saying it's wrong. God's saying this is right, but the world says it's wrong. We're calling good evil and evil good, right? Guys, God's sanctifying us, and we should be open to him renewing our mind and changing us. Guys, when we come to Christ, we're no longer of the world. We're still in the world, but our citizenship is now changed. This is no longer our home. When you come to faith in Christ, you have a new home. You've been adopted into God's family. Your citizenship is in heaven, and we're just passing through. Isn't that pretty cool? So Moses is struggling with the same thing here in his heart, Egypt, okay? And he's got to take care of that. He's got to be set free in order to set other people free. Do you guys know that's why God sets us free? He's all about our freedom, right? Second Corinthians 3.18, it was for freedom's sake that Jesus came. Okay, And aren't we called, commissioned to go into the world, to speak the truth of the gospel, to make disciples that others may find freedom in Christ also? Yeah. Isn't that cool? He wants to set us free. So three stories of injustice have just taken place here uh, before God appears to Moses. These three things go down. So the first story, we see this Egyptian versus this Hebrew. Moses witnesses this injustice, and he responded by killing, okay? So injustice towards a fellow Hebrew. In the second story, Hebrew versus Hebrew, Right? So when they witnesses that injustice, he spoke. Injustice when one Hebrew wrongs another Hebrew. And then the third story we see here are these shepherds versus these girls. And he simply stands. So injustice when non-Hebrew men oppress non-Hebrew women. So all injustices seem to infuriate Moses. And I think there's great lessons here, three of them that I see for us um, 
when it comes to leadership and development. First, we need to learn the limits of our fleshly power and resources. We see that in verses 11 to 15. We also need to patiently submit to God's training process on his timetable. Okay? Because don't we want things, all right, God, I'm sensing a call. I know you're wanting to use me. Let's go for it. You know? No, it's in God's timing, but we also in that time need to wait on him in a way of submission to grow. And the third thing is uh, we need to cry out to God for deliverance. And we see that in verses 22 and 23. So let's take a look here at God's promise in verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and they cry, the cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. So God hears Israel's cry. I think that's pretty cool. So in verses 24 and 25, did you guys catch that God heard? right? God remembered, God saw, and God knew, okay? So the Bible uses an anthropomorphisms, okay, that's a figure of speech in which God the Spirit has no, you know, physical body, yet he is described in these human or physical terms, okay? God with ears, you guys catch that he hears right so this is used so god reveals himself to us a lot of times we in the evangelical church talk about the personal god he's per do you have a personal relationship god desires that because he's a personal god well he reveals himself in that way because he wants us to know that he is a personal god so one who is not ignorant of our situation of our need he knows these things so which do you need to be reminded today which one of these did you guys catch here that god remembered <laughs> does god forget no god knows all right but it tells us that he remembered okay he doesn't forget what it means is he actually decided to act that's what it's telling us so but why didn't he act sooner maybe is the question that you have we don't know. Does anybody in here know all of God's plans? All of what's going on in his mind? You see, there was a medieval Hebrew saying that said, if I knew God, I'd be God. Okay? You guys know that we're not gods. There's one God, and you're not it. So we can also ask, if God intervened to stop the suffering of the Jews there in Egypt, why didn't he intervene sooner? Okay, why didn't he intervene during the Jewish Holocaust there in Europe, right? And the identical questions could be regarding different nations of mass murders through the years, the 60 million Chinese at the hand of the communist regime, the 20 to 30 million murdered by Stalin's communist regime, the 6 million in Ukraine that were killed by Stalin's regime, the one out of four Cambodians who were killed by Pol Pot by the communist re regime, the mass killings of the Armenians by the Ottoman Turks, or the slaughter of the Tutsis by Hutsa in Rwanda there, and there's so many others. The list goes on, guys. Why didn't he act? We don't know. 
You guys ever ask that question? I want to be real with you guys this morning. These are the questions I'm at. I'm like, why were these Hebrew children even being killed? God, these were your people. Why don't you just step in? Why don't you just intervene? Make it stop. Why don't you, you know, kill Pharaoh? Drop dead right there. Be over. <clears throat> what about these Hebrew moms that we're reading about here in ancient Egypt having to drown their own sons in the river? Why didn't that stop? Why didn't God intervene sooner? I think there's three things that we need to remember when it comes to these type of questions. First, guys, if God always intervened to stop evil, human beings would no longer have free will, right? We'd be little bitty robots. Anybody feel like being a robot today? No. Secondly, guys, the only possible answer to the problem of unjust suffering is ultimate justice in the afterlife. So if we're told that God is good, it is an anomatic or a self-evident uh, there is an afterlife, okay? He will judge. Every wrong will be righted. And the third thing is a great argument. There's <clears throat> a late um, American rabbi, uh, Milton Steinberg. He posed this. The believer has to account for the existence of one thing, unjust suffering, where the atheist has to account for the existence of everything else. Jump ahead just one chapter. When we read here that God knew, okay, in verse 7 of chapter 3, it really amplifies abbreviated thought, okay? The verbs appear again, okay? It says in verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. So these verbs, guys, they indicate empathy and identification with his suffering people, okay? It's not like God just, whoa, who cares? That's their free will. That's their choice. They live in a fallen world. Bummer they chose that. They should have just listened to me. No, God actually hears. He cares. He understands. He knows what's going on, okay? So these verbs, okay? And it also told us here that he remembered his covenant with Abraham, okay? God remembered his covenant memory here, his unbreakable covenant of salvation. He made this promise. The Savior would come. So covenant, God's love relationship with his people. And I want us ever to lose sight of that. Because this world gets a little rough once in a while, doesn't it? We get tossed a little bit around, and then we look at others like, whoa, I don't have it as bad as them. That's pretty bad. But why is that happening? How can that evil be taking place? Why hasn't anybody stepped in and stopped that? How can that be allowed? I think it's so important for us as the people of God to really stand upon the word of God. Okay? He's a covenant-keeping God. He's faithful to his word. There is hope. It's maybe best described. How many of you guys have done the Jesus Storybook Bible with your kids? 
Sonny's back there like, ah! Yeah, we have a few copies at home. I think it's probably the coolest children's Bible there is. Um, and I think the, the storybook really defined the covenant love of God, his steadfast love uh, very well. Maybe the best I've ever read. It put it as a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always forever love. Isn't that cool? So God is a personal God, one who is aware of your needs, one who is committed to the promise that he's made to you. So you are loved, brother and sister, with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. What a God. What a Savior. So we're going to pray. I purposely kept things short because we want to share a little bit into just how our God loves. So Father in heaven, we are so thankful. We are thankful for your love for us that you never, ever give up, that it's never going to stop. It's unbreakable and it is always and forever. God, we know it's true. You demonstrated that love upon that cross 2,000 years ago. God, and even hundreds of years before that, you were hearing the cries of your people. And you cared. We thank you that you do care for us, God. And that we can come before you raw and real. God, you see all that's going on. You hear our cries. We're thankful for the invitation you give to come and cast our cares upon you, knowing that you do care for us. We're so grateful for the example of Moses. We know that he's just like us. He had his flaws, his shortcomings, as we're going to see as we study through this book, Father. But we also want to be men and women of faith, God. That if you are asking of us um, to do, (laughs) that we'd be willing to say yes, God. That we would be okay in the time of waiting. Lord, we're trusting your ways. We know that they are good because you are good. So I'm thankful, Father, that you've given us your word here this morning. I would ask of you, Holy Spirit, just to speak clearly to each and every one of my brothers and sisters here today. I know there are things that we are quick to forget because we have our busy lives and we're easily distracted. Would you please, in your goodness and compassion and kindness, bring these things to remembrance or that we be able to do your word, not be hearers only. Thank you so much for loving us the way you do. Amen.